Hey everybody, welcome back to Radio Imbibe from Imbibe Magazine. I'm Paul Clark, the executive editor of Imbibe, and in the best of times, running a bar or restaurant is already an uphill climb. Whether it's lackluster business or a lease dispute or any of a number of other factors, the cards sometimes seem to be stacked against bar ownership as a good business plan. The COVID crisis has only exacerbated many of these pre-existing conditions, and as a result, we've seen the closure of countless restaurants and bars across the country. But there are also those that have held on and made it through. Some of those establishments are still eyeing the long term and figuring out what the coming months and years mean. But for Joaquin Simo, a partner at Pouring Ribbons in New York City, which we named our Cocktail Bar of the Year in 2013, reopening the bar required looking more closely at the short term. Shortly after its late September return, Pouring Ribbons announced its permanent closure in April of next year. For this episode, we're chatting with Joaquin to check in on the rationale behind this closure, the bar's plans for its final six months, and what he and his staff have planned for a future beyond pouring ribbons. I wanted to get in touch because you recently reopened Pouring Ribbons for the first time since the great shutdown in March of 2020. Uh, but while you're celebrating finally being open again, there is kind of, you know, a bittersweet aspect about it uh, because you've announced it's for six months only, closing for good next spring. What prompted the decision to close up shop next year? It was the end of our lease. Uh, so that was actually pretty straightforward. I actually has completely forgotten that we had taken over the space May 1st of 2012 uh, because we opened uh, to the public after a pretty extensive renovation on September 14th of that year. So in my mind, last summer when we were thinking about whether or not we're going to reopen, the idea was, okay, so it'll be September. And then my business partner looked at the lease, which he hadn't looked at in like a really long time. It was like, actually, it's going to be a little sooner than that. We may not make it to the summer. Um, so that was really the end point. We have a, um, a plus five option that we are declining uh, to exercise. And I just want to say right off the bat that this has nothing to do with our landlord, who has been awesome with us uh, throughout the last 18 months that we were closed. Uh, he was unbelievably supportive. Uh, took half rent uh, for a good chunk of it when we ran out of PPP money that we could spend on things that weren't payroll. Uh, we explained that to him and he was he was okay. He was like, cool, don't worry about it. Uh, we had the way very, very few of my peers have had, we had an unbelievably supportive and understanding landlord. And the last thing I want anyone to come away with thinking about this is that, oh, it must be a rent situation or, oh, their landlord or whatever. That is absolutely not the case. We were one of the very few who had a phenomenal uh, landlord situation. So, but but still, you took the option not to extend that that plus five. Yeah, absolutely. And I think, um, I mean, a ten years is a really good run in New York. Uh, most bars don't make it to two, uh, so I'll certainly take ten. I'm really not. Uh, I'm not bummed out about it. Um, but I feel like this is a it's a really challenging time to be an operator, and I think moving forward with a business model we wrote 10 years ago is maybe not that maybe what the next five years uh could and should look like for for a bar especially one that wants to keep growing uh so i feel like maybe this was a a good time to kind of call it a day we had a really good run i'm extraordinarily proud of of what we've been able to accomplish and who's come through our doors so i think being able to wrap it up and i think you know last summer if you would have asked me 
are you guys coming back? I would have said, absolutely not. It was a different administration. I had very little faith that uh, there was going to be any actual relief coming towards uh, bars or restaurants. Um, but with the change in administration, with the restaurants I passing, with stuff like that, there began to be a little bit more hope uh, in there. And that's really, and seeing so many bars, so many great, great bars, not just here in New York, but around the country that just had to kind of shudder very quietly and weren't able to say a proper goodbye um, and talking to the operators from those bars. Uh, hearing the pain and the disappointment that they weren't able to like, you know, have one last send off with their favorite regulars to have industry come and, and raise one last glass with them. I don't know. I, I, I got a little wistful and I feel like that was when, when I realized we did have the opportunity to do it, I was like, all right, I, it would be dumb. It would be selfish to not do this. Uh, it's only six months. Uh, and you know, let's have a, let's have a fun run. So we're just opening up Wednesdays to Saturdays. And uh, so we'll have those dark days of Sunday to Tuesday where, you know, obviously that helps where you don't have to have as much staff and, you know, you hopefully are preventing those quieter nights during the week. But, you know, we can also, those are nights that if a staff member wants to do a pop-up, if there's, a, you know, an event, if there's a private party that wants to rent the space out, then we can always do that and staff accordingly for it. Um, but we're really excited about kind of keeping this condensed and having it feel special. And you mentioned, you know, we've lost so many great cocktail bars since the onset of the COVID crisis. Pegu Club, Clyde Common, Eastern Standard. Uh, now we've heard the Pastry War in Houston is going to be closing soon. I just saw that. Yeah, you know, they, these things happen in restaurants and bars, of course, and they always happen. But having done this for a long time, this wave of closures, you know, especially of, of these, you know, kind of giants uh, who have been around for so long, it kind of feels like a, you know, a gut punch. It is. It's uh, it's really tough. I mean, I, I, I lived in Boston for seven years. That's where I first started bartending in, uh, in Alston. And uh, so I have a very soft spot in my heart for that city. Um, and every time I would go back when I was um, from living in New York, I would always stay at the Commonwealth. I would always, because I was like, what, what could I do that's better than having Eastern Standard underneath me? Like, there's no better place that I would rather be in that city. And so that was, you know, a massive, massive blow. I mean, before the pandemic, there were so many bars. There were just so many restaurants. There were so much. There was that a little bit of a market correction was bound to happen. And I think as you, you know, start to see some of these bars that have been around for a while, a decade more, decade and a half, you're starting to see leases expire. You're starting to see that. So all of this kind of like, there was a bunch of bars that opened up right around the time when we did. And some of them are not coming back and some of them are. You know, and I have enormous amounts of respect for um, for guys like uh, like Mickey and Sammy at Attaboy and, you know, their ability to open one up in Nashville. They just took over the Temple Bar space, which I am so excited about because uh, that was one of the great rooms in New York City to go to have like a, a moody date and make out in a dark corner. I mean, that was an amazing room and I'm super excited to see what they're going to bring to it. So I know that as those things, as those places go away, there's going to be new exciting places that will also be coming uh, in the future. And so, you know, it's a cyclical business and not every place is going to going to last forever. But I feel like, uh, 
it has been has been a bit of a gut punch. Uh, seeing Bobby post that this morning was a, a pretty rude awakening. I was like, oh, I wish I'd had coffee before I saw this. <laughs> right. And, you know, when we look at some of these bars and, and the impact that they've had on the bars that have come afterward uh, and the way that we drink today, the way the bars operate today, you know, Pegu Club, Audrey taught everybody the game. Yeah. Eastern Standard, as you said, you know, demonstrated you could do great cocktails at a level of magnitude. Uh, this is asking you to speak pridefully about what you've accomplished, but what do you think or what do you hope you know, pouring ribbons lasting legacy will be? Um, I think from like the outside, from a, from a guest perspective, I think the, that little flavor matrix on the menu uh, is something that I've seen uh, duplicated a lot. And that was certainly, we were not the first ones to do it, but we certainly got a, a lot of press for it and helped popularize the concept of kind of uh, that Cartesian plane of like, you know, spiritist to, uh, to refreshing and adventurous to comforting. Uh, so I think that was certainly something that allowed guests to, the second they walked in the door, be like, cool, we don't have to know what all these weird ingredients are. I can kind of figure out what I want or don't want based off this craft. So I think that was something that is going to be part of the legacy, the themed menus uh, that we were doing. I mean, we were we had some pretty out there menus. That Revolutionary Artist one, I was uh, showing some new staff the photos from that. And uh, my GM, Brooke, has like PTSD about the garnish setup for that menu. And <laughs> we, went, we went really big. And I think it was really fun to do these very high concept menus and take some of the seasonality out of, um, out of uh, menu um, execution. And then I think also, uh, and again, this has definitely been part of the, the Sasha school of, of uh, service, but not having that glass ceiling between the floor and the bar. If you are working three shifts, Two of them will be behind the bar. One of them will be on the floor. But making sure that no one felt uh, at any point like they were getting uh, less than service. It was like, cool, the person who's serving you, that drink you're asking about, it's their drink. They can tell you everything about it. So we really wanted to help make sure that there wasn't that division be in the in the front of house between servers and bartenders. Um, you know, that we certainly lost some good candidates because they were like, I don't carry trays. I'm like, okay, don't carry a tray somewhere else. So I think that was something that our guests really appreciated. And then I think internally for the staff, you know, we, we did a lot of training and that was open to everyone. Uh, that was to all servers, to the hosts, uh, to anyone who wanted to come, we would bring in neighboring bars uh, to do that. And I think that was, that prompted a bunch of other places to do that as well. Uh, so I feel like that was a big help. And I think allowing any staff member to contribute stuff to a drink. Uh, there's a lot of bars where like only the bartenders can do it or only the senior bartenders can contribute. We had hosts who'd never bartended a day in their lives contribute good selling drinks onto menus. Uh, if they if they had researched the theme and they had an idea for something, then cool, work with a bartender, work with someone who's come up with drinks before, work with me and, you know, let's let's see if we can get something together for this. So the fact that anyone could have contributed a drink if the, if the idea was strong enough. Uh, to do it and not have it be limited to just part of the staff, I think is something that a lot of people have come back and been like, never been in a bar where that was the case. Uh, and so I feel like that for the staff moving forward, whether it was like a confidence boost or simply a feeling of uh, being more invested in the program um, or that their contributions could be more than just what their job title was, uh, was pretty important. Right. And you mentioned, you know, the theme menus, the concept menus that, that it would last for about six months or so, uh, like the Silk Road or Route 66 or Moody Authors, you know, the drinks kind of centered on, on these themes. You have six months left to go. What's what's the concept? What was what, the six months, this last six months going to look like? Well, we thought about uh, the themes, the theme menus took 
a good three months of R&D uh, to kind of get through. Uh, and sometimes that was more fun than others. Like when we did trashy TV or cult classics, uh, then it was like, cool, you get to binge watch the Kardashians, you know, for research, <laughs> uh, which was great. You know, the staff loved it. Their roommates couldn't believe what was happening. But with, you know, the better part of a decade's worth of, of drinks in our, um, in our back pocket, we thought maybe we just run it back. And rather than, than do one last theme, why not give people a reason to come back and say, hey, do you remember that drink from 2012? Do you remember your favorite from 2015? And we're just coming back and we're bringing back a bunch of our favorite drinks and running QR code menus to make that even more seamless so we can start swapping stuff in and out. Uh, the goal is to get former staff members to come back and do uh, guest shifts. So I would love it if we could get a couple uh, to come back and maybe we just do a menu for that night of either their favorite drinks that they had put together or their favorite drinks from over the years that they love to make or that they love to drink uh, from our menus and we can give them that ability to to come back and do it. So I think the goal for these next six months is really just have fun with it. Um, there's no pressure. Uh, <laughs> we, we have an end date. We know exactly what's going on. We just want to have fun. Uh, we want our guests to come back and be like, oh, my God, that smoky horchata drink is back. It's been so long. Like, cool. I want them to be excited when they look at the menu and they see something that they that they remember from back when. Uh, so we're really excited to do that. And I think that's really more than anything else, the, uh, the goal of this. And, you know, kind of tacked on in a slightly more serious note is what can we do for our staff in the next six months? Because we had to bring in four new people. Uh, who I was very excited about. Uh, I think we have a really, really strong staff right now. But that was a very uh, interesting interview process. We were like, cool, so this is a six-month gig. <laughs> and like, just so you know, this won't be forever. But what can, what can, what do you want to learn here in six months that's going to help you down the road was an interview question uh, that we had there. And we wanted them to start thinking that because we're like, look, I don't have a year to, to help you with stuff. I only have six months. So what can we do in six months that's going to position you for whatever your next step is going to be was a huge part of this. Like if we would have just drifted away, then I would have felt like we kind of let down our staff by not helping them springboard to whatever their next step would have been. But now with six months to play, you know, if any of them have a many, if they have a concept uh, that they want to work out, if they have an idea for a bar and they want to trial run a menu, if they want to throw a, a, a party or something like that where they want to see if this thing has legs, then we want them to be able to use the space to do those things. So we really want to make sure that, I think it was Danny Meyer had a job fair for his staff when he was closing Tabla, which was the first Union Square hospitality group to shutter. Um, and I just remember reading that thinking like, that's a really good idea. Like, what can you do, especially if like, unlike us where we don't have like a, a bunch of sister bars or restaurants where we could like, you know, oh, we'll get you a job here, we'll get you a job there. Um, what could we do to make sure that our, our staff is in the best position they can be uh, come April. And you've had such a talented team that's come through over the years, you know, uh, that, that I mean, that's definitely part of the legacy that, that, that we were talking about. Where do you hope this staff and, and, and your team will go once once you guys close? What do you hope they'll do and where, where do you see them going? I mean, I think we have a couple on the staff right now that I think are just destined to be operators. Um, and I'm really looking forward to seeing what their vision for a bar is. Um, I know one of them has spoken a lot about opening up a jazz bar. Another one is just so keen in the nuts and bolts and is so detail oriented. I think he's going to make a really, really great, really great operator. So 
I feel like we've got a couple that are a little younger who I'm looking forward to seeing like them grow their skills to see if they can maybe take the next step and, and lead a program coming forward. So I'm, I'm really curious. I mean, honestly, with, with only three returning staff members, we might get a fourth back. Um, I'm still getting to know my new staff. It's only been a few weeks with them. Uh, so I'm really, I'm really looking forward to kind of learning more about who they are and what makes them tick. I think my, my happiest surprise was learning that two of them are as big pro wrestling fans as I am. I'm like, finally <laughs> someone at the bar I can talk about this with. So, you know, we're, we're still figuring each other out. Um, but I feel like we've had such extraordinary, uh, staff members over the years. Um, who have gone on to do so many wonderful things and work at so many great places. So, um, you know, we just had, we had Devin Kennedy come back through uh, on our opening night, which was so great. He's got an amazing position now with Bacardi where he gets to go to all the music festivals and do that. I was like, you were throwing music themed pop-ups at our bar um, and you were hosting this thing over the pandemic. I love that he was able to use that space to a certain extent to help build that out. And now basically leverage it into a really cool brand job. So when I see someone take those opportunities uh, like that and then really be able to leverage it, that's who I can point to as a great success story and be like, look, that's that could be you, you know, maybe not in that exact role, but uh, whatever your version of that role is, it's like, please, how can we help you uh, is always the question that you kind of want to, you want them to be able to answer because you know, you have ideas, but you can't choose someone's future for them and, or dictate what their passions are. And then what about you? I mean, what are you going to do after the final last call next year? <laughs> I have no idea. I really don't. And I think some of it is just, I think the uncertainty of where we're going to be in six months, you know, as a country, I, I really have no idea what's going to happen uh, come fall or winter. So I'm a little, uh, a little uncertain. I think probably a break uh, from owning a bar uh, is going to be needed. I'm a little, little, little fried, a little burnt out. I think um, restaurants got a lot of love over the pandemic. I think there was a lot of general public support and um, outpourings of love uh, and testimonials geared at restaurants, which is great because I love restaurants and I love to eat. Um, but I feel like nightlife didn't get that. I feel like bars, nightclubs, live music venues uh, were largely ignored. Uh, when they were not ignored, they were often demonized. Uh, they were just like, oh, those are dens of iniquity. Those are just super spreader events waiting to happen. They are, and just, it, it was hurtful, you know? I mean, I have to say, like, my feelings were hurt by hearing my city government, my state government, um, federal government, you kind of expected from. Uh, but New York City and New York State, they just didn't care about bars. And we got treated really, really poorly uh, throughout this whole thing. I remember when outdoor dining began, it was a 10 p.m. cutoff. They would fly drones at like 10.02 down First Avenue, trying to find businesses that maybe still had a guest with a drink in front of them to find them. You're like, really? That's like blood from a stone here. Really? That's what you're doing. That's how you're treating us after all of this. And I don't know. It's not, it hasn't been a terribly uh, friendly environment for bars and restaurants. So I'm kind of hopeful that with some new blood in the city council, in the state legislature, maybe we can start to see a less adversarial relationship uh, here in New York between stuff like the Department of Buildings, the Department of Health, and these small independent operators who are just trying to do a good job. Uh, so I'd really like to see uh, some meaningful shifts there before kind of tackling the uh, the idea of opening another bar. Um, my wife 
uh, is very excited about us having a little bit more geographic flexibility. Uh, we've we've spoken for years about becoming bicoastal, uh, so maybe starting to split our time between New York and California. That would be pretty lovely. We'd be closer to her family, and we have so many wonderful friends uh, and colleagues out there. So I feel like there's there's a lot of things that we can do, but I think um, I don't have a really clear answer for that. I feel like I'll, fig I'll figure it out when the time comes. I'm sure there'll be options, but I don't know. You have time, and the future is yours. Yeah, it's gonna be a, it's gonna be interesting. I'm looking forward to seeing what's available and kind of what what's piquing my interest. Uh, and kind of because I know I've I've had a bunch of ideas for things that I want to work on, but is the landscape gonna be appropriate for those things? What's it's gonna be like to travel? What are events gonna be like? What are uh, what's gonna be your ability to to go to places where especially the vaccine isn't. Uh, widely available, your ability to work with people in smaller rural areas, like how safe is that going to be for them? You know, uh, not even for me, but for them. Uh, so what what would that look like? And so what are my opportunities going to be? I'll see in the spring. Well, Joaquin, thank you so much for taking the time to chat with me and to share share this with us. Uh, you know, best of luck to you moving forward. But I, you know, I hope to see you before then. I hope to get into pouring ribbons uh, one more time uh, before you know before you guys shut down. I hope so. If you're in New York next weekend, please swing on through. Uh, it would be an absolute pleasure to see your smiling face again. Cheers, sir. Thank you so much. Always a pleasure. Thank you. pouringribbons.com for more details on the bar. And more importantly, head to 225 Avenue B in New York City for one more cocktail or vintage chartreuse before the bar is gone for good. That's it for this episode. Subscribe to Radio Imbibe on your favorite podcast app to keep up with more conversations in the weeks ahead. Head to imbibemagazine.com for recipes for pouring ribbons cocktails like The Way of the Warrior or The Lust for Life, along with lots of other recipes and articles. And keep up with us day-to-day -day on Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, and Pinterest. And if you're not already a subscriber to the print and or digital issues of the magazine, then you'd better get on that before our next issue hits of the stands in just a few weeks. Head to the link in this episode's notes, and we'll take care of you. I'm Paul Clark. This is Radio Imbibe. Catch you next time.